0: For that reminder, church, the Lord is near, the Lord has come near, and the Lord is near. So we worship Him today, and we seek Him today, and, we, and we'll find Him today because He has revealed Himself. So I pray that as we go through this season, and as we go through this worship service, that our eyes are tuned, are focused on Him, and our ears are tuned to what He has to say to us today. Well, please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, if you will. 1 John and chapter 5. You know, perhaps one of the things that surprised me most about my trip to Israel uh, was the old city of Israel inside the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, all the commerce that takes place there is just so commercialized. Really, it's not so different from the night markets in Asia that many of you have been to, or it's not so different than... Uh, you know, the Incan markets when you go to Peru and all the things that they're selling there. Or in Africa, the, all the different markets that they have that people come to or flea markets in Mexico. It's really not so different. That's what's happening inside the old city walls of Jerusalem. I didn't know what to expect, but it's safe to say I didn't expect to see that. I mean, all these shops are kind of the same, right? They all sell a lot of the same merchandise, and they all have these tactics to try to get you to buy their stuff. You know, it starts with... They want to just engage you in conversation. So they're gonna be outside of their out of their market, out of their little booth there, and they're gonna to try to engage you in conversation. And really what they're trying to do is pull you into their shop. And once they get you into their shop, you know they wanna find commonalities. So they'll say something to you like, well, uh, where are you from? And if they speak English, where are you from? And you say, well, I'm from America, from Texas. Oh, listen, it's always the same, that's my favorite. Wherever you say, without a doubt, that's their favorite place. Not only that, they likely have family who lives there and that's where they want to go someday. Without a doubt, that's how it works. But the next thing that comes, and listen, the strategies are the same everywhere. If you speak English, it's the same. And if you don't speak English, they're doing the same thing, just in a different language, okay? But what they do is they say, well, this is genuine. They want to assure you that what you might be buying is the genuine article so whether it's alpaca or cashmere or some kind of pottery or some jewelry they want you to know that what you're going to give them money for is the real thing they might light a fire to it they may tell you that look at the engravings on this jewelry this means it's real they're going to convince you that it is the real thing now john in this letter that we've been going through for these past several months is trying to assure believers that they have believed the real thing. That they have assurance of salvation. That they are connected to the one true and living God. He is writing that we, as genuine followers of Jesus Christ, might know the truth. That we might know Him. That we might know that we have faith and eternal life through Jesus Now, the Apostle John has warned us, don't believe every spirit, but test them. Why? Because not all the spirits, not all the teachings, not all the teachers are from God. So in our passage that we're going to look at today, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 of 1 John, John is going to continue to reassure us that we are in Christ. We're going to note the fruit of a regenerate heart. We're going to be noting the fruit of a regenerate heart. Those things that we should see. Those things that will be true of those who are following Jesus Christ. Who have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, while Paul writes to reassure his readers, I'm sure some of the readers there would have been unsettled at what he has to say. His purpose is to assure Genuine followers of Christ, that they are in Him and they have eternal life. But I'm sure that some in the in the in the uh, in the room that day, when when this was being read, would have felt a little unsettled. Maybe even today, some of us will feel a little unsettled at what John has to say to us. And if you find yourself in that place, friend, don't suppress it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't deny it. May this Christmas be the turning point in your life when you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Would you stand? We're going to read together 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we gather now to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves before you and to worship you, to declare that you are the King, that you are glorious, and to give you thanks for who you are and for what you've done. And we come now to this moment to hear from you. So, Lord, may your spirit speak to us, and may we be changed, may we be challenged and comforted, and may we be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, this morning, I want us to look at this passage under five different headings. Regeneration, belief, love, obedience, and victory. They're there in the insert in your bulletin. So we're going to begin here with the first heading, the heading of regeneration. Look again with me, if you will, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, John here is noting that those who are in Christ, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, have been born... To be born of God refers to the gracious work of God's Spirit in regeneration. To be born of God. This is the first point you're going to see on the screen right now. To be born of God uh, refers to the gracious work of God's Spirit in regeneration. In making us new. In fact, that word regeneration is the act that results in something which already exists coming into being afresh or coming into being anew. And when we think about this, we go down to the the canyon and we try to catch lizards when we're down at the canyon and we see these lizards on these rocks sunbathing and we try to catch those lizards. And if you've ever caught a lizard, sometimes you grab that tail and what happens? It falls off. That's exactly right. But... That lizard, God has given that lizard this amazing ability to regenerate, to regenerate a new tail. The same is true with starfish, right? One of the the arms of a starfish comes off, and what happens? It can regenerate. So we understand regeneration. We understand it physically. But, of course, John isn't talking about physical regeneration. He's talking about spiritual regeneration. He's talking about being born again. This is exactly what Jesus was speaking to, or speaking about with Nicodemus. When this teacher of the law, this Pharisee, came to Jesus in the middle of the night and asked him this question Who is this? Let's just look at this together. John chapter 3, I'll read it aloud. John 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When well, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into a, sec- a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Now, this reminds me of a story I came across several years ago about the country doctor. Country doctor ruled, went to a home and the mother was in, 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 in labor and she needed help delivering this baby. So the, the country rural doctor gets there, uh, gives birth to the baby. The mother gives birth. The doctor suctions the little girl's nose out, slaps that little girl on the bottom. and you know It's a joyous time and the doctor looks around and, and sees the older brother sitting there and the doctor says, well, what did you think of that little young man? And The little guy said, well, serves her right. I would have spanked her too if she crawled up in there, right? (laughs) So this is exactly how Nicodemus was thinking. What is going on? How can someone be born again? Born again? Crawl back up into the womb? The man is old. How can this happen? How can this be? Nicodemus was every bit as confused as that little boy was. And maybe you're confused about this. Maybe you're confused about this whole concept of being born again. See, the Bible says that all of us are born spiritually dead. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. Because the first man and woman that God created, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. And all who would be born after them would be born in a fallen state as a sinner, as one who is separated from God, spiritually dead. We live for our own agendas. We disregard the God who made us and the God who demands and deserves our full allegiance. The Bible calls this disobedience, sin, And sin separates us from the perfect, holy, creator God. And it renders us spiritually dead. And not only are we spiritually dead, friends. We are spiritually dead in our sin. But to be spiritually dead means that we are guilty of rebellion. And we are condemned by God. The holy, perfect God. To an eternal death in hell. See, the problem with Being spiritually dead is that we need to be born again, but we can't cause ourselves to be spiritually alive. If we are spiritually dead, we need to be connected to God and be made spiritually alive. But, friends, spiritually dead people can't make themselves spiritually alive again. Spiritually dead people cannot make themselves spiritually alive again. Actually... Dead people don't do anything. They don't do anything. I have a friend who's, many of you know him, going to have an ankle replacement coming up here in about a month. And there's a new technique that's being uh, bantered out there that's saying this is good. It's, It's supposed to increase your recovery and make it last longer and all that stuff. So my friend doing his work said, well, how many times have you performed this surgery on people and the and the surgeon said, well only twice if you count living people. But if you if you take into consideration cadavers, then I've done it a lot of times, a lot of times. And guess what? Every time that surgery is done on a cadaver, that cadaver doesn't do anything. There's no response. Because it's dead. There's no life. There's no response to any physical stimuli that's taking place in that moment, right? Physically speaking, dead people don't feel anything. They don't respond to physical stimuli. They can't make themselves come back to life. They don't even know that they want to be alive again. They don't initiate. And friends, the same is true spiritually. Spiritually dead people don't respond to spiritual stimuli in their own power. They cannot make themselves come back to dead. They don't initiate anything that would cause them to come back to life spiritually. So how is it that anyone is born again? Well, friends, the answer is this. We are born again by God's grace and by God's grace alone. The Apostle Paul writes of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3. through three. He tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we have no life, that we're enslaved to sin, and that the ruler of this world, that is, Satan, the God of this age, is our master. That's what he's getting at. But then he says in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And then in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the free gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So friends, we are made alive by God's grace and this because of His great love. We are, catch this, we are made alive through faith which God graciously gives to the spiritually dead. We are made alive through faith which God graciously gives to the spiritual faith. Now notice in verse 1 again. um, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has already been born of God. So faith and belief there is not the cause of our being born again. It is the result of our being born again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again. However... Before we read too much into this, we need to recognize that elsewhere, faith is presented as a condition for being born again. This is what the Apostle John writes in John chapter 1 and verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So with all certainty, friends, we can say this. There are not people out there who are regenerated, but have yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no one out there who has put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ who has not been regenerated. Salvation is the work of God from beginning to end. And we are saved by God's grace alone and for His glory alone. So we see regeneration. But secondly, we see belief. Now, previously, we noted that we are made alive by God's grace through faith. John tells us that it's belief in Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And then he bookends it in verse 5, right? Who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. The angel appeared to Joseph a man who was engaged to a woman named Mary and announced that his soon-to-be wife was pregnant. The angel appears and Joseph's like, wait a minute, what do you mean she's pregnant? I'm not even married to her yet. And the Bible tells that he thought of not marrying her because he was really concerned about this, but the angel assured him. Listen to what Matthew writes in his gospel. Of Jesus. She will bear a son, as the angel speaks to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Joseph was called to believe the message of God that there is spiritual life, that there is rescue in Jesus who is the Son of God. And Luke tells us that the angel appeared to Mary as well. Listen to what the angel says to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 36. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus... He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, So what we see here is the angelic announcement, the divine announcement that God is interceding, that God is coming to us, that God is making all things new. Humans could not produce a spiritual life giver because we're all infected with the same sin. We're all infected with the same disease. And it's continually passed on because we are sinners by nature and by choice. But God solved our problem by becoming one of us. By being born of a virgin. God became man. And he was born at Christmas. So friends, to believe in Jesus as John writes. You're going to want to note this is to believe that Jesus is the very one that God promised to send in order to save us from our sin. To believe in Jesus, as John is using this term here, is to believe that Jesus is the very one that God promised to send from ages before to save us from our sin. It is to believe that Mary's baby is fully God and fully man it is to believe that our spiritual life that our forgiveness that our hope of eternal life depends on being connected to jesus through faith and friends he is the only one he is the only one in whom there is life he is the only rescue for sinners he is the one who came to seek and save the lost. He is the one who came to destroy the, the works, the enslaving work of the devil. He is the one who lived perfectly and undid what our father Adam failed in. He obeyed God perfectly. And then he took the death that we as sinners deserve on the cross and then rose again victoriously on the third day. And friends, as John presents it, hear this, it's persistent and present belief in Jesus that gives evidence of being born again. As John presents it, it is persistent and present belief in Jesus that gives evidence of being born again. Yes, in the past, at some point, you intentionally put your faith in Jesus Christ. But you don't move past it. That faith continues today. We never m- move beyond faith. We hold fast to it. It is present and persistent. So faith, a present day active trust in Jesus for salvation, is a sign of salvation. It is a necessary fruit of salvation. So we see regeneration a belief, and now we see love. And of course, if you've been with us, for any length of time in this study thus far, you've seen the priority of love. You've seen how love is, part, is an, uh, it's a necessary part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You've seen that love is not just an option, it is an obligation for the Christian. It is a necessary result of regeneration. You've seen that love serves as evidence of saving faith. Love serves as evidence of saving faith. I just want to do a little survey through this letter we call 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice Righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And just to clarify, John is talking here about agape love. This This is a selfless, sacrificial love. It doesn't depend on the lovable qualities that we see in someone else. It is a selfless love that chooses to place Uh, affection on someone else, and to care for them, and to serve them. In Christ, we're one family. A fellowship of Christ-centered love. And according to Jesus, friends, hear this, love is the primary indicator of a spiritual pulse. Love is a primary indicator of a spiritual pulse. It's not some external religious activity that you do that is the primary indicator of spiritual life. It is love. Do you love? Do you love God? We'll see. Do you love others? Again, in the New Testament, love is not some abstract concept, it's practical, it's action oriented. It's what John 3 16 is all about, right? God so loved the world that he often thought about us a lot. God so loved the world that he told other people that he loved us. That's not what the Bible says, is it? Love isn't just some abstract concept. Oh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about. That God sent his only son. That we might have life. That we might have forgiveness. God's love put Jesus on the cross for us. So how is your love for others? Is it word and talk only? Or is it deed and truth? I love missions. Do you love missions? Do you love the gospel? Do you say that? Are you engaging in that? Are you giving to support that? I love you. I love you. But are you willing to serve? And are you willing to give? Are you willing to sacrifice? I love this church. What do you love about it? Do you love what everything it does for you? Or do you love in a way that causes you to serve others? And to support the ministries of the church? And to come alongside others and to support others when they're hurting and when they're suffering. Do you love? Do you love? So love, a present day, active love for God and others is a necessary result of salvation. And this love should first and foremost be carried out in the context of the local church. Friends, some of us claim to love Christ. But if we aren't committed to the body of Christ, then how can we truly love Jesus Christ? So next we see obedience, regeneration, belief, love, and now obedience. The love of God is tied to obeying His commands. Isn't this what John is telling us there? Verse 2 and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. John Stott writes, you'll want to note this, Love for God is more than an emotional experience. It is a moral commitment. Love for God is more than an emotional experience. It is a moral commitment. Now, interestingly, the word used in verse 2 to denote obey in the Greek is different than the, verse, the word used in verse 3, translated keep. The first word, having to do with obey here, is more of the act of obedience. It's doing what is said to do. It's obeying. But the second word, which we could translate that or understand it that way, translated keep in here, involves more of an attitude. It's how we think about, it's how we esteem, it's how we view what we are encouraged to do, right? For this is a love of God that we keep, not just mechanically obey, that we keep, that we guard, that we value, that we hold, that we esteem. Be we're favorable towards it. My kids, I don't know how this started. I don't know how we got this word, but they have these boxes or these containers they call keeping boxes. Keeping box. I'm gonna put that in my keeping box. You know what goes in the keeping box? Things they value, things they esteem, things they don't want to lose, things that are important to them. So the name makes a lot of sense. And what John is telling us here when we love God, we value his word. We value his commandments. We esteem them. We esteem them because we understand that what God declares is good and right is good and right for us. Believers value what God desires, friends. You're going to want to note this. Because we understand that He has our good in mind. Believers value what God desires because we understand that He has our good in mind. God's Word is not just a burden for us. Now we understand that God's word is the way to fulfillment and to joy. I mean, just think about all the brokenness in this world that comes because of our rebellion against God, that comes because we try to make our own way, because we try to seek our own way. Right. Disease and addiction and loneliness and death and divorce and relational discord and emptiness. And friends, the list can go on and on and on. And some of you are protesting right now. Yeah, but we're saved by faith alone and not by works. And you're right. But we're not saved apart from works. We're not saved apart from obedience. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one abides in Him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, friends, we don't have time to go back and explain what all that means because we've done that before. But just know this. When John speaks of obedience here, when he speaks of keeping God's commandment, he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about how what we are characterized by. What we're characterized by. He's talking more about what are our priorities and what are our pursuits. Friends, only Jesus is perfect. That's what Christmas is all about. If we were perfect, then God wouldn't have become man. He wouldn't have taken on flesh. We're not perfect. We're sinners. Even as those who have been saved by God's grace, we still sin. But Jesus and his sacrifice and his life is sufficient for us. However, obedience matters because God saved us to walk in obedience and to accomplish good works. So We read in 1 John, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. So obedience, a present day active obedience to God is a necessary fruit of regeneration. Now finally, and quickly, victory. Victory. By God's grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in the Son of God, we have been born again. And all who have been born again, John writes, overcome the world. All who have been born again have victory over the world. Why? Hear this. Because our faith is in the Son of God, Jesus, who has defeated sin and death and overcome the grave. We have victory because our faith is in the Son of God, in Jesus, who has defeated sin and death and overcome the grave. He has gone before us. He has paved the way to spiritual life and restoration with the sovereign God. (coughs) This is the baby. This is the baby that we celebrate. The King whom we bow before And the Lord whom we worship. The one who has accomplished our salvation. Through Jesus we overcome temptation, false teachers, physical maladies, persecution, death, and sin's curse. Friends, in Christ we overcome hell. Maybe not all of it's experienced right here and now, but there is coming a day, friends, when all things will be made new. All things will be made new there will be no more sickness and death and we will be at one fully in the presence of the father in Jesus we have victory because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world so saving faith friends requires that we put our trust in Jesus Saving faith requires that we put our trust in Jesus. When you came in this morning, you saw those pews there, didn't you? And you said, I'm going to find a good seat. And I'm going to go to that seat. And then you set your stuff down. And then eventually, after you talked to your friends and you gave some hugs, you yourself, you sat down. And you trusted. You trusted that that pew was not going to fall over when you sat down. You believed it would hold you up. And the same is true with Jesus. You can believe that he lived. You can believe that there was a man named Jesus who was a great guy. You might even believe he was crucified because you've heard it enough at church. But to truly believe and put your trust in him means that you have to depend on him. It means that you confess that you are not good enough to be made right with God in your own according to your own works. But that you need the sinless, life-giving Savior. That you need Jesus Christ. That He is the only way. That He is the only way to the Father. So where are you? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you, as Tim sang moments ago, rested in Him? Believing the promise of God that if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will be saved? In just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing as we close out our service. And during that time of singing, if you have questions about what it means to follow Christ and to trust in Jesus, then I would encourage you to come and talk to us. If you have questions about anything we've said in this sermon, I've said in this sermon, If you know today that you're trusting in Christ and you want to be baptized, then friend, come and share that with us and let us rejoice with you. Many of you want to just be still and rest and worship because He is the King of kings. The one who took on flesh. At Christmas, who lived perfectly, who died a sinner's death and then rose from the dead. And we have life in Him. So you want to worship Him. Will you pray with me? Great God in heaven, thank you for your love and for your mercy. Thank you that when we were spiritually dead, when we were lost, when we were hopeless, you gave us hope because you took on flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, became one of us. Thank you. May we live our lives today for your glory. To honor you to worship you. And may your people respond even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and respond as the Spirit leads?